If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Our guest today is Cami Holinski. Cami received her PhD in animal science with an emphasis in equine behaviour and welfare. Her MS was also in animal science with an emphasis on equine nutrition and exercise physiology. She worked at Michigan State University for 25 years as coordinator of the two-year-old horse management program. And in 2016, in August, she began teaching and advising at the University of Kentucky in the equine science and management program. Her applied research interests have revolved around equine behaviour, welfare, horse-human interaction and working equids in developing regions of the world. She's been actively involved with the International Society of Equitation Science as a council member and currently serves as a senior vice president. She served as the scientific chair for the NFACC, Canadian Equine Welfare Code Committee, and has travelled to Brazil, Mexico, Honduras, Egypt and Mali in support of her outreach research with working equids. Dr Holinsky grew up on a horse farm where she and her family raised, trained and showed horses. She enjoys riding her Arabian gelding, MSU Ducati, in the discipline of dressage. How are you today, Cami? That was a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing very well. Thank you. Wonderful. Now, Cami, you've heard one or two of our other interviews. Have you got a favourite quote for us? I used to keep a a board with lots of quotes, but I think my favourite quote is, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that was said by Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. Now, with this quote, when did you hear that one or how has it affected you? I probably first heard it, oh, 10 to 15 years ago, and I think especially it's relevant in the area of horse behavior and welfare because I feel like students are much more inclined to listen to what I'm saying when they can see how passionate I am about so many of the topics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Good. And then do you say that to your students or you just show by example? It depends a lot on the situation. Quite often that quote is hanging up in my office. So anytime they're in my office for an advising appointment, that would be one of the quotes they would see. But I certainly hope they would see me leading by example as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We know that you grew up on a horse farm and you and your family raised, trained and showed horses. Can you tell us a bit more about your first memory? You know, if you think back through your memory, what was the first time you thought, oh, right, that's a horse or 
you know, I'm sure you would have had some very early memories there. I'm going to guess I was probably around three when I have actual memories that I, you know, can really pull out and think about. And that would be riding double with my dad, like on short trail rides. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, a little bit later on, I think I was nine years old when he let me train my first pony with a lot of help from him. Mm-hmm. And then 12 years old when I got to train my first horse, again, with a lot of help from him. How did you feel when you were allowed to have your first pony to train? I mean, in some ways, it didn't feel unusual at all. My dad had involved myself and my sisters with everything going on at the horse farm from the mm-hmm. time we were you know, really, really young in terms of going out sweeping aisles and feeding hay to the horses. So I didn't realize at the time how unusual it was for a nine-year-old to be training a pony. Mm, mm, okay. And good that you had your father there to keep an eye on you because a lot of nine-year-olds wouldn't be in the position where they should be training a pony. Yeah, that yeah. that is absolutely true. Mm, mm. And then going from that, and, and you know, you said that you had always had the horses, Did you always plan to work with horses or was it a decision that you thought, I'm going to work with horses? How did that work out? I mean, I was definitely that horse crazy kid that had horse statues everywhere and drew horse pictures on every notebook in school. (laughs) You know, starting at age seven, I was assuming that I would be an equine veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much hung on to that thought till I was about age 19. And that was when I first started to question whether I actually wanted to be a veterinarian or not. And so then my academic advisor kind of steered me toward the direction of academia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. And good that you've done all the research within horses rather than a lot of other areas that you could have done. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've been very blessed to get to stay in my area of passion, the horses, and turn it into my career. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think if someone wants to work with the horses, what do you think the core skills are and the character traits they should have just to get started? In a way, I feel sort of lame answering this because it's it's skills that we need pretty much for any job that we want to be good at. You know, the, the whole idea of grit and resiliency, work ethic, dependability, you know, showing up to work with enthusiasm. Those are going to make you successful at everything, and horses are no different. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what would you say? Do you have any time where you talk to the students that you're teaching about going forward working in the horse industry? Is that the sort of thing that you tell them? Absolutely. I have an equine career awareness class that I teach each semester, and I had a similar class when I was at Michigan State. And we always spend pretty much one whole session talking about the pros and the cons of working in the horse industry. Yeah. So they hear a lot of this over and over and over. And in some regards, I probably try to talk them out of the horse industry and then assume if they still want to stay in it, they might be one of the really, really awesome ones. Mm, mm. Yes, because it's not for everyone. It's, you know, as you say, you've got to have that grit and the work ethic and you know, right down to the showing up with enthusiasm, if they're going to continue in the horse industry, a lot of people get started but then find it's not for them and, and, you know, they've got to sort that out themselves. But um, you're right, if someone's ready for the horse industry, they'll show the qualities and they'll keep going no matter what you tell them about it anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? I mean, I would have to say that, the line between your your hobby and your job becomes very blurry mm-hmm. because 
you know, there's a lot of times if I'm at a weekend horse show, I'm observing all sorts of practices and behaviors that have a lot to do with my job, even though technically I'm there as a horse show mom to help my daughter. Mm, mm. So I, I really think that the passion for the horse is the best part of having a job in the horse industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it works the other way too. You know, you're at a horse show and you're thinking this is going to help my job, but you can be at work and say, oh, right, I'm going to try that on my horse. Right, yeah, certainly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, now tell us about people. You've talked about your father and the amount of influence that he had. Are there other people that you'd like to talk about that have helped you in your career? I mean, from the time I met some of the people involved with equitation science, which was the early 2000s, that has been very influential to my career and my interest in horse behavior and welfare. So, you know, as an example, Andrew McLean, Paul McGreevy, Natalie Warren, Jan Lodvig, those are a couple of names that come quickly to mind that have very much influenced how I think about learning theory and equitation science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about horses? If you had a particular horse that's influenced you or how does that work? I'm sure your first pony would have influenced you. I'm sure that would have been a lot of good experiences and good memories there. But, you know, just more recently, if there have been horses that have really helped you along the equitation science line or, yeah, just tell us a bit about that. And it's really hard to pick just one or two. Sure. Because, you know, the vast majority of horses I've interacted with in my lifetime have had an impact on my life. You know, if I knew the horse well enough to know their name, they've probably had an impact on my life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, two that would be especially high impact, you know, the the first horse I was allowed to train at age 12, who was also my personal horse, that was probably the best trained horse I've ever owned just because I spent so much time with him. His name was Kaliga. He was a Bay Arabian and just an amazing horse. Not super gifted physically, but just had practically the best work ethic ever. And then um, like my favorite horse when I was working at Michigan State University, her name was MSU Passion Play. And I eventually, when she was about age 14, had a chance to buy her in one of our sales. And she was always kind of a fragile-minded horse, had you know just some real issues with trust, mm-hmm. but I ended up buying her and that became a really, really wonderful riding horse for both me and my daughter. But she was always a great example of how you had to be in the perfectly right frame of mind to have a work session with her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about what you've done with horses, both practically with horses, you know, with horses like Passion Play or scientifically. But what do you think your proudest moment's been? When I was trying to think of that earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're a child, there certainly are some competition things that are especially memorable, Mm -hmm. you know winning a high point at a competition or winning a particular over fences event. But, you know, I was very proud that horse that I had, Kaliga, I could ride him when he was only like four years old, bareback and without a bridle and do equitation patterns. He was just, you know, that well-trained and had the right mind to do it. So, Mm -hmm. so that made me really proud. Mm-hmm. And then the the other mare, Passion Play, that I mentioned, because she was on the fragile-minded side, she took a lot of effort and creativity to come up with ways to get her to be calm at horse shows. So when we finally got her able to qualify for um, Arabian Sport Horse Nationals, that was something both my daughter and I were very proud of. Okay, good, good. 
Thinking about, you know, all the time you've had with horses, do you remember a time where you've had a big challenge and not necessarily with the horses themselves, but, you know, just with the industry and to get to where you are now? And tell me about a challenge that you might have had and how you've overcome it. You know, there's a few different ways to answer that. Certainly when I was working on my PhD, I also had two young children at the time, had a busy husband with his own life. That was a really hard time to fit in horse activities. And I was also trying really hard to get my PhD done during that time slot. Mm -hmm. So that was certainly a challenge to try to figure out a way to have quality interactions with horses during that. And I, you know, I think Everybody that's worked with horses very long ends up with those horses along the way that they challenge you to think outside the box, think outside the paradigm of what you're used to thinking about horses. So I would say those horses come along every few years to try to just think of something new. I was just going to say the ones that think outside the box, though, they're also the ones that you learn from, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, learn more from, I should say, not not just learn from. You can learn from all, but, yeah, if you've got to do something a bit different, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always need to be adding different ways of thinking because what works great with one horse just might not work quite as well with the next horse. Yep, yep. All right, now tell us about a common fault that you might see. You go to a few shows with your daughter, um, problems that you might see, and how can we correct them or faults? You know, not necessarily problems, but challenges people might have with their horses or things that they're doing that they could learn from and do a little bit different. So when I go to horse shows, whether it's small-scale schooling shows, whether it is equestrian team shows, whether it's large-scale shows at the breed circuits, I often am troubled by things I see in the warm-up pen. So, and it doesn't matter if we're looking at Western horses, hunt seat horses, dressage horses. I don't think I have yet to see a sub-discipline of the horse industry where I don't see some horse welfare issues. But, you know, I might be trying to be there just totally in the moment of my daughter and I showing, but I can't help but see the horse that's having his face jerked on, or I can't help but see the horse that's getting, you know, really, really spurred hard to the point where you might eventually see a few drips of blood. You know, a lot of times it's people, I think, trying to overpressure their horses when maybe they didn't do enough homework at home. Mm. And even if they did understand learning theory principles before they got there, Now they're not doing them because, you know, again, they're just trying to accomplish too much in too short of time a lot of times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then because of that, then it's the horse that's getting confused, doesn't understand. Yeah, confused or frustrated or sometimes Mm -hmm. almost gets sort of a learned helplessness look. Mm -hmm. And, And these horses are just so amazingly kind and forgiving, if you will. You know, it's very troubling to see them not treated fairly. Yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Now, the other thing I'd like to talk to you about is you've done some work in the developing regions of the world. Have you got some insights there that you'd like to talk about? Well, it's certainly been fascinating. This was something I started to be exposed to in the year 2000. I went to Brazil for an animal behavior conference and saw all these different horses looking really, really in rough shape alongside the road. 
So when I got back home, I talked to my major professor, who's also from Brazil, and we finally set it up that we went to Brazil in 2003 and 2006 to do some research related to these horses that were being used by people of very low income to pull carts and pick up trash and pick up recyclables, you know, and try to work with the folks to understand if they gave the horses just a little more food or took a little better care of their harness, that horse could potentially live a longer life or potentially work a little harder each day. So when these people have such a tough life, you have to put things into a frame where it makes sense and seems relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you say that in Brazil, you know, you've done some other work in Mexico, Honduras, Egypt and Mali, but much the same thing there. It's just more or less justifying that if the welfare of the horse was better, then they would get better results from the horse? Is that the main message that you try to give in those regions? For the most part. And Mm -hmm. it it definitely is a little different per location. You know, for example, in Egypt, they use donkeys and mules in their brick kilns. And those animals have a really, really challenging life because they're working very long days. They pretty much work six or seven days per week. It's already hot in Egypt. And then when you add the heat of the brick kiln cooking, you know, it's just it's just so hot in there. But again, the, the usually teenage boys that are working in there, they have a really tough life too. So mm. you try to do things like convince them that beating the donkeys and beating the mules isn't going to help them get any more work done. And in the end, it's going to make animals, uh, what happens a lot with the mules is the mules get really, really challenging to deal with and kind of start biting and kicking a lot. Mm -hmm. So if they're kinder to the mules, they're less likely to have to deal with those bites and kicks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, that's good. That's good. And what about a book, you know, just thinking about expanding our listeners' learning, something to complement their training? Have you got any books or a book that you'd like to recommend for us? And these may have already been recommended in previous podcasts. I really like the <laughs> equine behavior book that Paul McGreevy has put together. I just ordered the newest edition for one of the classes I'm going to teach this summer. I also really like the equitation science book that the newest one is McGreevy, McLean, Christensen, and Von Bortel. Previously, it was McGreevy and McLean. And then if somebody just wants kind of a less expensive, easier read, the Mills and Nankervis Equine Behavior Book is is still a really nice book. And I'll quite often use that like for my 100 level and 200 level classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they've been recommended before, doesn't matter because we put all the recommended books on our website, but we put the most popular first so that the ones oh. that get recommended the most, they're top of the list. <laughs> and then, you know, they sort of go down from there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Cammy, what are you looking forward to now? Uh, are we talking career-wise? Yeah, yeah. You know, just something with horses, with with your own and with your daughter's horse as well, <laughs> and career-wise, yep. Well, from a career standpoint, I am totally loving being in Lexington, Kentucky. It's definitely one of the horse capitals in the world. I'm enjoying learning a lot about the thoroughbred industry, and I've really become fascinated by the -the off-the-track thoroughbreds and what they can do and how they work out as sport horses. You know, I'm anxious to just continue teaching here, do a little bit of research here and there where I can fit it in, keep watching how equitation science and our society are growing, and as a hobby, you know, helping my daughter out with her horse and her showing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you've got your own horse as well? 
I have a horse that she is likely to show. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't love showing myself as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have an older, kind of semi-retired, half-Arab, half-Dracaner that, you know, is mainly just a horse she likes to have fun with. Okay, good. And if you can sum up your philosophy into a few sentences, that'd be great. Philosophy with horses, that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually going to first talk about career-wise, I Mm -hmm. think it's really important to choose something that you can be passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to aspire to be a difference maker. You know, don't just plan to plod along and participate in a career. Plan to actually shake things up and make a difference. I think that's really important. In terms of horses, if I were to pick a competition goal that I would try to tell, let's say, the average young person in horses, you know, firstly, Choose an appropriate athlete for what you have in mind. You know, choose the right kind of horse to do jumping, do eventing, do dressage, do Western pleasure, and then make sure that you can actually stay true to your ethical self competing in that discipline. If you've chosen a discipline that you're gonna have a hard time being true to your ethical self, that's gonna create a lot of conflict in your mind. And then if you can just as much as possible follow good principles of learning theory, you know, understand the different reinforcements and such, that will go such a long way to creating clarity for your horse. And, you know, horses love consistency and predictability. So I think if you follow those things and have a consistent practice schedule, you know, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to meet your competition goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. And Kemi, how can people contact you? Usually the easiest thing is through my email, Yep. which is my first name, Cammie, C-A-M-I-E, dot Haleski, H-E-L-E-S-K-I, mm-hmm. at U-K-Y dot E-D-U. Brilliant. Okay, and those details will be on your page at horsechats.com slash Cammie Haleski, or just go to horsechats.com and search for Cammie. Okay, Cammie, wonderful talking to you over the other side of the world. It's been really good. It'd be evening over there now. It's just about time to leave from work, yeah. From work, yeah, yeah. All right. Look, it's been great talking to you. I've certainly enjoyed talking to you. I like that we've been able to bring in just a little bit of an insight from developing regions, but going through and talking and confirming some things, you know, equine science. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of changes within equine science. And I think through that, we've got a lot more realisation of, the world from the horse's point of view. You know how the horse is thinking and why we would do certain things and certain behaviour and and just having a bit more depth of understanding about the world from the horse's point of view. So thank you very much for talking to us today. You're very welcome. (laughs) Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.